Welcome to Talos Takes, the security podcast for everyone from the C-suite to the front lines. All right, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talos Takes. I have Joe Marshall back again with me to talk about all things critical infrastructure. Thanks for coming on, Joe. Hey, thanks for having me, bud. Happy to be here. So the reason why we're we're talking today specifically is because uh, you and, and some of our other colleagues released a blog post uh, as we're talking now last week. And this blog post that you guys wrote was basically about what critical infrastructure management and the government and the private security sector can all be doing to work together to address current ransomware problems. And obviously there have been no shortage of high-profile attacks that we could list off. But this is kind of a, a huge topic that's come up this year. Uh, I, I want to start out by asking you, uh, in what way do you think the response to these attacks this year has been lacking? And what did, it, what did you see in the response that made you want to write about this? Yeah, we went on an original tangent of saying that, you know, critical infrastructure in my little community of ICS security professionals is in a lot of ways something that happens to other people, not what happens to some of us here in the United States. And the, basically the, the the comparison that I was thinking to draw was, well, we're now in the, even though the, the journey was different, the destination was the same as how it relates to international attacks, like what happened in Ukraine. But we kind of quickly put that back on the shelf because while there may be some meat on that bone, we just didn't have the, we, we thought there's a better avenue to pursue, which is that there's actually precedent for attack on critical infrastructure in the United States as it relates to oil and gas, um, which we list two really great incidents in our in our blog post. The the uh, the, the middle mid uh, midstream suppliers are a really great example of that for the pricing they did for uh, say like Duke Energy and for these other really prominent oil and gas companies. You know the the reason that we think that you know, it's unfortunate, maybe it's just human nature, but nobody pays attention to something until something catastrophic happens. So as I mentioned, the one of the main points that you guys drive home is that to address these types of attacks in the future, it's going to take partnerships between private and public sectors. And obviously in every country, this could potentially shake out differently. We're no international relations experts. So uh, I'll ask you specifically about the U.S. What would something, what would partnerships like that potentially look like? So, so one of the things you got to keep in mind is that the, the every industry wants to self-regulate itself. So if you think, you know, uh, utility sector in the United States, it's uh, or the North America, it's NERC and FERC. And these are not governmental organizations. These are self-regulatory institutions. Uh, the writing was on the wall. You know, a, an electric utility is a established monopoly. So they felt it was better to self-regulate than have the government and create regulations. Oil and gas has tried the same thing. They have... Well, I think they've tried it, and it doesn't feel like they've given it their full attention in some ways because they have the American Petroleum Institute, which is like a lobbying organization, and the American Gas Association, which does try to create some technical standards. But there's nothing that anyone is really adhering to or has to adhere to, so therefore they're not going to. That's suggested guidelines. Well, after the Colonial Pipeline attack, now all of a sudden there is this march of federal regulation wanting to come in and say, well, we need to protect our pipeline security. Therefore, we should create essentially government regulation that says you must, you shall, you will versus, you know, prescriptive, do it if you want, optional guidelines, stuff like that. The thing that will never change is that oil and gas infrastructure is privately owned in the United States. Um, They're not going to surrender that to the government. So the government can come in with regulation, but these are still privately owned institutions. So they're going to have to meet somewhere in the middle. 
and determine that, yes, we will adhere to your government standards, either that's the TSA, the DOE, or whomever wins that fight. Actually, it seems like it's all of them basically in that scrum right now. And I don't really know how the dust is going to settle yet. This is a, a battle in progress. One of the things that we do call out on our paper is, is like the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and Department of Energy on how they were going to regulate nuclear power plants. Basically, they came to a gentleman's agreement. We'll handle everything up into the wire. You handle everything after the wire. So NRC would ha- uh, handle nuclear reactors inside the plant, DOEs, everything outside of the plant, something to that effect, right? It's probably going to have to have something like that. It's going to have to happen as well inside of the the oil and gas industry, where private industry is going to handle things that obviously the government should not be involved in because they don't own the company. But at a certain point, when the public good compels the government to make sure that gas keeps flowing, that's when they're going to come out and say, you know, this is the thing we really have to have to keep a, a weather eye on. I honestly, and this is the truth of it, nobody knows how that's really going to look right now. We do know that regulation needs to be sane and actually something they're capable of following. It doesn't need to be a mishmash of conflicting guidelines and squabbling over whose territory is is being infringed on. It just they need to come out with clear, definitive language, and so that because these companies would be happy to comply, they just need to know what to do and then have a clear voice to respond to. Knowing my uh, knowing how the government responds to these things, we might it might be a little bit, but we'll see. One of the other major points that you guys bring up is that these defenders in these environments or um, managers, admins, whatever exact title you want to attach to them, need to be on the lookout for how IT and OT intersect. Because the points that you make are that when there's a failure in one, it's going to affect the other. IT and OT being information technology and operational technology. What are some of the key questions that folks who manage both ends of that spectrum should be asking themselves? Probably one of the bigger questions is where do you intersect? Because you intersect. In Colonial Pipeline, it was their billing system that went down. Um, With Norsk Hydro, which was a couple of years ago, when they got hit with ransomware, I believe it was their logistics and shipping system went down so they could make product, but had no idea where it was going to go or how they were going to get it there. On top of they actually had problems making the product too. It was was a big mess. Everyone's IT and OT intersects in some capacity, even if it's small, even if you're a smaller mid-sized company, and that's okay. But understand where it is and what the risks are if something bad happens. And it's an easy question, but it's a really tough answer. I get it. We get it. It's not easy. But if you don't ask the question, you're doing a disservice to yourself and to your leadership who has to evaluate that risk, allocate budget, and figure out how to mitigate and address it. Because if you're not asking that question, then you're, you're, regretfully, you're going to be the next colonial pipeline, right? Because no one probably stopped to ask themselves, if we connect this to OT and it goes down, how how hosed are we? Someone said probably really badly, but then chose not to do anything about it, or they didn't know about it. Like, there's any number of narratives that could have happened. Do your diligence. Pays off, I promise. I appreciate you taking the time to answer my questions, Joe, but what else did I miss on this? Is there anything else that we uh, didn't cover that you wanted to make sure people take away? I think we captured the the broad strokes of it. I think that uh, this is not going to be the only attack that somehow downstream affects how we have our way of life. We had the JBS attack, attack our, uh, our, you know, the meat supply in the Midwest United States, which affected everyone else. These ransomware attacks are not going to abate in any meaningful way. We're working on it. We're part of the ransomware task force. We're working with a lot of partners to try to quash this. Um, but but buckle in, it's, it's gonna get worse before it gets any better. And there, there could be other disruptions and maybe this this Talos takes or our blog post can, um, can generate 
some ideas and the, and the heads of security professionals and CISOs and that want to do something about that risk. And, and uh, uh, we're here to help if you need it. I'm happy to talk shop. It's getting me to shut up. It's a trick. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, thank you very much again for your time, Joe. I appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll have you on again in the near future to talk about something else. Cool, man. Happy to do it. Let's talk about video games next time. <laughs>